joining us and for continuing to gather with the believers. Um, no matter what form that takes, we're to gather. And even in these times when it's difficult to gather in person, we thank God for the ability to utilize the little technology that we have at our disposal so that we can gather with our hearts and minds knitted. And so for us at Ecclesia, um, we've resolved to follow the government directive and use wisdom and love for our neighbor and actually close our doors to um, physically gathered services. But we have um, started, as, as you are experiencing, this Sunday online service, this SOS during this time where it's going to serve as a beacon of hope and encouragement and strength during these trying times. And um, for us as a church, for all the church family that are online at the moment, it's a reminder that not only is our Sunday service online, but all of our gatherings that would normally take place, even small groups, discipleship, meetings and so on, are all to be shifted online. And so we will communicate with you um, specifically about how you can that can be facilitated so that everybody's able to get online um, and have your meetings and do your discipleship and all that kind of thing. Um, fundamentally, we recognize that Jesus has yet to come. We look forward to and await his return. And in the meantime, we are to be about our father's business. We are to occupy until he comes. And so despite the fact that a virus has taken over the planet and it's is seeking to um, have another and with one and all. And so um, we press on. And um, just to orientate you, um, as you've come online, you may see that there are some controls um, accessible to you. There's a chat control. And so you can kind of add your amen and so on in the chat um, for everyone um, or message us privately. Um, and that will allow you, if you message FRB, it will allow you to feedback to us if we need information on sound or whatever. A lot of people have been asking about, can we go widescreen? This is week one. So, <laughs> like, widescreen's coming. We're just, we're just breaking the ice right now and, and trying to make the most of what's at our hand. Um, but no doubt, over the foreseeable future, as we continue with this, um, we trust that as we grow, you grow. And we grow together in this. And so um, also there's a little hand raised signal. Um, and so, you know, you might want to just touch the hand signal and show us a, <laughs> show us a hand in, in, in praise as you're worshiping with us and receiving the word. Um, we've been going through a study in First Corinthians. And, um, you know, we've, we've resolved at this time that it's going to be good for us to continue in a time of uncertainty and instability, we know that Jesus is the rock upon which we stand. He is our refuge and our fortress. Truly, he is our everlasting savior. And so as we continue in his eternal word, we know that it provides the food and nourishment for us. While people are trying to struggle to get food in the shops, why I don't know, because there's no shortage of people panic buying. You know, we have to stop that, right? And, but at the end of the day, there's no shortage of God's word. And so we're going to continue with the spiritual food. So I'm going to invite um, Pastor Rich T to come and um, share with us from 1 Corinthians. And then we'll sing again um, before we conclude. Here we are. 
Um, it's again a privilege to be um, able to, again, I, I guess, you know, I guess it's the, 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 the second um, online service I guess we're trying to do. And obviously, as, as Pastor E has said, we are tweaking this and um, hopefully um, we'll adapt well. Like you said, it's, it's, there, is a, there is a small crowd here, but um, obviously nothing like what we're normally used to. There's two, you know, again, you know, we are, we're in the midst of a time where, again, it seems strange. Yeah. Is that better? All right. Okay. Yeah, it seems really strange to, um, to as it were, talk, not talk around the big, the big elephant in the room, so to speak. But at the same time, if you're like myself, um, other than kind of getting the latest statistics, I've kind of switched off to the the kind of ongoing news, which is kind of like a, 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 a news feed of one news, and obviously every kind of news seems to divert on that same subject. So it's quite, um, I hopefully you, it will be refreshing to maybe talk about maybe even um, something different, or as I would say, something better, something that will hopefully um, anchor us in this time. And also, you know, not to forget that this Mother's Day, you know, walking through the supermarket yesterday, seeing lots of unbought flowers and lots of unbought um, Mother's Day gifts. So again, um, I'm aware that today is a big day to the mums out there. You know, bless you. Bless the Lord for your lives. We give thanks. Um, you know, so I hopefully um, this COVID thing doesn't stop um, you pampering mum at home. So uh, maybe give her a little bit of a break. I know I'm certainly going to be giving my wife a break when I get back home today and cooking dinner and making sure she's well taken care of. So again, um, mums, bless the Lord for your lives. We want to thank you um, for doing what you do. And so again, um, just, just feel blessed and um, appreciated even in this time. So here I am um, having the audacity to speak about kingdom stuff. Um, in the midst of troubling times. And so, again, you know, just to kind of make it clear, this is where I stand, is that, you know, when the UK no longer exists, when America no longer exists, when China no longer exists, uh, and whatever other superpower that might be looming on the horizon might exist, if the Lord should tarry, it is the church that will ultimately still stand. And this church alone. So this reason, it, it seems, again, even probably more appropriate to talk about, well, as the stability of this kingdom starts to shake, and obviously the stability of other kingdoms around the world start to shake, it seems appropriate to talk about the kingdom that cannot be shaken. The kingdom that cannot be shaken. So if I had a title to give to this today, it would be Ecclesiology 101. What does it mean to be the church? What is the doctrine of the church? I kind of want to do a long intro. I know I like my long intros, but I think it makes it easier that once we actually get into the text, we have some grounding in what we're doing. So I just want to take, first and foremost, um, the time to read the text. We are going to be reading from 1 Corinthians 3 today, um, and I'll be covering what should have been covered last week with, um, with Pastor Rob. But again, you know, big up Pastor Rob that... Hopefully you're recovering. So I want to read from verse 5, and I want to read um, right the way through. To verse um, 17. 
I will read and then I will pray and then I'll um, um, jump into my intro. So reading from verse 5, I'm reading from the ESV, but please feel um, free to follow in whatever version you have. And it says this, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed. As the Lord assigned to each, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wage according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy, and you are that temple. Amen. Father, we're thankful this morning that, um, again, we can come to your word, as it were. And as Pastor E says, feast upon it, dear Lord God. Have that which nourishes our soul. And again, as Moses said some, so many centuries before, even um, the gospel was fully manifest, dear Lord Father, that man should not live on bread alone, but he should live upon every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And so we know that, Father, the things that we read today, the things that we are going to discuss today, dear Lord Father, and proclaim today, um, are feed, things that will feed our soul and enrich us, dear Lord Father. And again, in these times where the kingdoms of the world are shaking, dear Lord God, we are, again, hopefully reminded, dear Lord God, that there is a secure place, dear Lord Father, in your kingdom. Lord God, a kingdom that you take very seriously. And Lord, hopefully we, your church, also do too. So as we examine these things, Lord, search our hearts. Try us, dear Lord God, you know. Rebuke us, dear Lord Father. Um, encourage us, dear Lord Father. Stir up those, dear Lord God, who maybe uh, have never even considered these things to, uh, again, um, be motivated to apply that which we learn today into the life, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to start by looking back to the last time. And so in my, in my, um, in my outro, I left you with a picture of, um, of Oscar Schindler. Again, um, speaking of the movie version of Oscar Schindler played by Liam Neeson, we, I, I, I referred to a scene at, towards the end of the movie where he was now looking at the work that he had done and looking at the lives of the people he has saved. And at the same time, he was contemplating this huge sacrifice that he had made for, to save um, X amount of Jews. 
At the same time, he was also looking at the, the lack of his sacrifice, the lack of what he did. Things that he could have given up, things that he was still holding on to, semblance of his old life. There is a clarity that only seems to come once we are on the other side. I guess as that saying is that, you know, hindsight is twenty twenty. when you're there. And again, much of what we're doing today is hopefully helping us to move some of that which we might defer to after things have been established to maybe moving it a little bit closer and saying, maybe I need to contemplate these things now. Maybe I need to evaluate now. So even when you have given so much, it is surprising how much more you could have given if you had been thoroughly committed to the cause. You know, to be thoroughly penetrated by that which we believe saves us. To, again, continue on in gratitude, to continue on in such a way that we are actually motivated purely by the good news, the gospel so even now, as we are preparing ourselves for the kingdom, and likewise, as we prepare, as we would prepare to move home, it would be wise to not stock up on the perishables. I use that illustration because, again, I think it's helpful. Whenever someone is about to go on a, on a holiday or go on a, go obviously move home, no one stocks up on milk especially perishable milk and other such things. Those things you run down. And I think today, to our text today says that for those who are looking forward to the kingdom, we ought not to stock up on perishables. We also know that a kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. And we know that as believers, that if the kingdom is what it states it is, then we know that unity is not only our goal, but in a reality in which we can already benefit from it. In other words, unity is not something that we defer to some future when it's easier to do. In other words, even now in these times where we're all so diverse, coming from different cultures and different backgrounds, different classes and all the rest of it, that the work of unity begins even now. This was obviously important when you look in the book of Acts because the Jews having to share the gospel with the rest of the world was a big deal. How do I share the gospel with people who don't think and feel the same way that I do? And this is what we are striving for now, is a unity. Why? Because the kingdom, as Jesus tells us, is already in our midst. It's in touching distance. My next line in terms of Printing out my, putting down my foundation is that the churches of infinite importance are of no importance. I just want to put that out there. It's either of infinite importance or of no importance. We cannot stand in some position in between and say, well, it's a bit of both. It's quite interesting that in this post Christian culture that we currently live in, it has become apparent that it's not completely done with Christianity. In other words, there's still a function for the church to some extent. There are still, um, as it were, uh, Christian clergymen sitting in the House of Lords who have a role to play. 
What we have is a society that wants to preserve some notion of a transcendent being. An impersonal one would be nice, as we can have it speak our own thoughts. And we have to be, and we need it also because we need an origin for some ought morality, something that we ought to do. So again, when we say that someone should do this, we, we like to think, well, it's part of our transcendent culture. That which binds us together, something that we ought to do. You know, as we pick the corpse of our Christian heritage, nostalgia has got, has gotten the better of us because as hopeful as you try to make the godless future ahead of us look great, we're suddenly beginning to realize it's only the glimmers from our past Christian culture that starts to reveal the shadows that lay ahead of us. And I think that's important. We're already starting to see that that which is ahead of us, a society without any God in it, is actually looking a lot darker than we thought. And the only thing that actually is illuminating it is our past Christian culture. My next headline is, our doctrines are all connected to one vine. And depending on where you cut, you can drain life out of our doctrines that depend on the roots, that depend on the roots for nourishment. So when I think about our doctrines, that which we believe as Christians, I want you to picture them as growing on a vine. They're all, as it were, connected. Even the small, seemingly inconsistent ones of, you know, what's the role of women and what's, what do we do about, you know, again, holy days and whatnot. Even those which we, we say we ought not to divide ourselves over, they are all linked together. And to some extent, if you try to cut some of those things off, it could be, well, it will be detrimental. So again, if you've displaced Jesus as some moral teacher, or God as some impersonal force, or the spirit as some mystical force that is best left undiscussed and not really worshipped, then and the church then also becomes a place in which we celebrate seasonal festivals and go to vote. This process of recreating Christianity that fits into our modern, enlightened 21st century would have left us with a Christianity that from the facade looks like that it's still intact, but is shallow and pointless. If we hold to a good Trinitarian theology, then you will find that it will feed into a good ecclesiology. Ecclesiology, again, is the study of the church, the doctrines that relate to the church, of us as people gathering. Because the church is the active work of that self-same triune God, so if you cut the church off and try to stand firm in the fact that only God matters in your version of Christianity, even your seemingly orthodox Trinitarian theology starts to crumble because you will start to cut God off from the work, his work in the development of the church. In other words, you will worship a God, but he's not really doing anything. Let 
And so we find that the light that comes and hits the leaves of ecclesiology, those branches that are up there that are seemingly less important, also serve to preserve the vine and the roots because, again, that light enriches the roots. And so a good ecclesiology will, again, always feed into a good Trinitarian theology. God is indeed at work, not only through the Father, who obviously loves the church, but through the Spirit, who is empowering the church, and through Christ, who is actually saving the church. The Christian doctrine that enriched the roots of foundational doctrines need those smaller branches at the top. It needs the light that they get. So God is indeed, indeed really at work in the church. My next point is that we have no choice if we take the gospel seriously but to move on to maturity. Again, one of the questions that people um, seem to pose that they have no real desire to kind of uh, move into Christian leadership. And again, this has got nothing to do with whether you want to be involved in Christian leadership. Maturity is about being able to stand your ground in that which you believe in a world, a pluralistic world, that is very hostile. And you could very easily lose the gospel if you are not careful to hold on to it. You know, we have to take the gospel as it is delivered and not to reinterpret it in a way that it is emptied of its power. You know, as Lewis, I'm I'm a big fan of C.S. Lewis, who states that we cannot have Jesus as a mere moral teacher because he has not given us that option. He is either a lunatic or the son of God. But you certainly cannot reduce him to being a good teacher. And again, going back to my first point, either the church is of infinite importance or of no importance. We cannot, it has not been given us that option to, to kind of sit in some middle ground because it doesn't exist. Jesus has not presented himself as a good teacher. Throughout the New Testament, the significance of the church is no less important than the Son the Father and the Spirit, because it is his object in which he has focused his love. In a sense, if you want to see a place in which uh, God is actively involved, and, I'm, and, I'm, and, and this is, again, to distinguish common grace, that which we see out there where kingdoms flourish because the knowledge of God is still somehow imprinted upon the image of man, as opposed to us which are now being made into the image of Christ. In other words, The church now becomes the place in which we can really see the work of God as it was from the very foundation of the world. So for this reason, how we treat the church is of ultimate importance, as Paul will illustrate in our text today. The church is of ultimate importance. So going to our text now, I want to kind of walk through that, but I want to start with this point. It says, you know, so again, what is the point of this text? Where is it going to? What is the one thing I want you to, to walk away with? Is well, factionalism, that which is to the, 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 the belief that people 
bracket themselves into different groups and that to some extent they need not have anything to do with another group of people because they're not part of their faction, they're not part of their clique. So that's what I mean by factionalism, their, their group, this herd mentality. And again, you know, for those of you who know anything about um, the, the identity politics issues that seem to be raging around the world at the moment, then you suddenly realize that this speaks straight into the situation. Are we allow, should we allow those things which ultimately um, are seemingly important to us, our color, our gender, our ethnicity, our class, to again, bracket us off and as it were, pit us against other people? Are our factions more important than the gospel? Are our factions more important than the church? So I think this speaks very much into the situations that we are currently in. And so factionalism undermines the gospel foundations of the church. And Paul's point here is that any leader that promotes it, other than for the preservation of the gospel truth, is in error. And that's as simple as that. To some extent, that's the text done. But I will walk you through it because Paul wants us to see the points that bring us to that point. So in verse 5, he says, what is Paulus? What is Paul but servants through whom you believe? So one of the things that he does in the strategies there, that again, that term servant there is slave. So as much as Paul began in, in the first chapter of this letter by saying that, you know, that look at what you've done. You've made celebrities out of Christian leaders. Which again is our culture where, you know, very much like the Corinthians, we can make celebrities out of everybody and anyone. I mean, you know, when I watch some of these celebrity game shows now, I'm confused because I don't know who they are. I mean, you know, I'm looking at them like, hey, what are they? And, you know, you, and you're constantly getting, oh, reality star, reality star, reality star. And I'm like, oh, good Lord. <laughs> There's me thinking I'm going to get a real honest-to-God celebrity, so to speak, someone who's done something in their life, other than allow other people to film their life. So anyone can be a celebrity. Anyone can be popular. Anyone can, you know... Any man and his dog. But the fact that he uses slaves means that who is Paul and Apollos? We're just slaves that God uses. And it's very important that we make note of that. He cuts the so-called celebrity status off from himself. He says, I'm just a slave. And again, it speaks to the culture because nobody in that culture would have made anything of a slave. It speaks to it because once you get to chapter 14 and, or 11 where you start talking about how people would even eat without slaves being present because, I mean, you know, where they're working and so they're not important, speaks to the fact that if Paul also considers himself to be a slave, then they wouldn't even consider waiting for him to have a meal. 
So again, it's very important that Paul addresses himself not as a celebrity, not as some star, not even some as, a, as an apostle of God, but as a slave of God. And that is, as it were, to undercut the Corinthians' own culture by saying, well, look, in your culture, you don't worship slaves, and that's all I am. So in verse 6, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. And so, furthermore, Apollos and Paul are not even rivals. In other words, they're, they're the desire to kind of create factions and say, well, I'm kind of off, off the school of Apollos because Apollos seems to be a little bit more, um, you know, he gets the rhetoric. You know, again, Apollos, having grown up in Alexandria, I would assume, is very intellectual and would have appealed to Greek culture. Whereas Paul, who probably has this Jewish status, would have been, well, he's kind of like the traditionalist. So I kind of like Paul because, you know, my faction worships tradition. And I think that Paul is my, my cup of tea simply because he is well connected to the Jewish heritage. That which has given birth to the, to, to the gospel. But here Paul says, I'm, we're not even rivals. It's not even against whether you prefer intellectualism or whether you prefer traditionalism. It's a simple case of we're just pretty much doing part of what God is doing. I'm, you know, I could be further down the conveyor belt where I might just be, I don't know, you see people assembling things where I'm just putting things in order and the other person's just putting them in the box. We're not even in competition. We're actually doing the same thing, but just different ways. We're a different part of the process through which God is raising up believers. So again, he's cutting the whole idea of the factions being raised up on the basis of their own personal preferences. <laughs> so that leads into verse 7. So neither we who plant nor he who waters is anything. But God is ultimately. So here, all glory or all celebrity belongs to God. And no one else. Give thanks to God. Be part of his faction. So verse 8. He who plants and he who waters are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. So what's strange now is that here, Paul now changes and says, if there's anything that separates Apollos and Paul from one another, it is the degree into which each one serves faithfully. So he says, well, actually, there is a difference between, there's not only, a, 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 you know, the, the issues of being a different part of the process, but if me and Paul Apollos are going to be judged on anything, it's going to be on our faithfulness. And so, to that extent, there could be a real difference between Apollos and Paul. And to, some, and to some extent, as you kind of begin to unpack this and understand this in, in ways that hopefully will enlighten us, is that sometimes someone who is able to do a lot may only be running, like our illustration of Oscar Schindler, he's doing a lot, but he's really running on maybe 80% of what he could be doing. 
And then the person who seemingly is doing a lot less, but with obviously a lot less talents and a lot less ability, could be actually running closer to like 95%. Too much is given, much is required. And so to some extent, Paul now wants to now highlight, and he will go into this obviously as he gets further down into his letter, the fact that there is a judgment waiting for those who are less faithful in what God has given them to do. So verse 9, he says here, For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. Here is the meat that feeds the doctrine of ecclesiology. And this is where I began, because the church is, and the doctrine of the church is, that God is working on us like we are a field or a building. It's a metaphor. So we are, God, we, God is actively at work, not with common grace, but with an active grace that has been given to us through the Christ and through the Spirit, where he is actively working on us. And through his church, he is working not only with his church, but through his church. So in that sense, Paul is not exempt, even though he is a worker on that, in that field and, uh, um, or on that building, he is at the same time part of the process of where he is being worked on as well by God. So again, this speaks to the whole idea that we're not professionals. Even as pastors, we're not professionals. We're not here as in, you know, well, God has finished me and I'm part of the product, so now I'm feeding back. It doesn't work like that. We are also part of God's field. So that's when we, when we sit and listen to the word or listen to somebody speak their testimony, we are also being worked on by you. We are also being blessed. We are also being worked on and nourished. And that doesn't stop. And... It's quite strange, again, and, you, and, and there's a pattern to the way that especially um, Jewish people teach because, in a sense, Paul builds up to a point and makes a small point, and then he backs off. And this verse here, this, where we are now in verse 9, he, he will back off and go back to his other point about the workers only to come back to this place of the church again in verse 17. So you've had, you know, you, you know, you've had five verses where he's built up to make his argument and then he makes a small point and then he backs off and he goes back to his other point and then now you find that when he comes back, he will remind you again that you are God's work. So as we look at verse 10, it's like he said, he's gone all the way back to him and Apollos and Peter, and all the rest of the apostles. And as you look at verse 10, it says, According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it, and let each one take care. So it's like very much going back, and he's now going back in detail to the process. And he's putting more layers on it. And he's like saying, well, look, I've, I've, I was the first one to come here, so to some extent, I'm like the guy who's building the foundation. And Apollos is like there building on top. And so now he's articulating his point. 
in more detail. So again, if you look back to verse 8, it's the same. You, you, the, 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 the verses marry to one another. And now he is focusing again on the, the, as I said, the faithfulness of the worker. The faithfulness of the worker. And so verse 11, he now unpacks that a little bit more. He says, for no one can lay a foundation other than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. In other words, no one can work on God's church however they please. No one can come and just basically say, well, this is what I've, I've, I've been told to do. And, you know, and it doesn't marry to what you see in the Gospels. It must be in accordance to the gospel of Jesus, whilst it's an invalid work. They very well may be building something that looks like a church, but ultimately, if it's anything askew of the apostles' doctrines, then ultimately it's a completely different building. And you can't even really call it an annex, like, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like there where I would put kind of like groups like Jehovah Witnesses and whatnot, where, you know, we're kind of connected to it because, again, they didn't believe, they don't believe the same things that the apostles believed. It's not even an annex. It's something completely different. And ultimately, it's not the gospel. So you can't marry, you can't do anything willy-nilly and every single leader needs to face this challenge by those who are looking at the church and saying, I cannot see the gospel in this. Everyone, and this is one of the reasons why we all need to be on point. Because there are indeed pastors who, quote-unquote pastors, who are not building according to the gospel. So verse 12, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. So it's worth noting here that the merit system is not consistent with our own society's merit system, such as we see in our schools. You know, Billy and Anna all get a prize, even though they didn't really do anything. (laughs) You know, because... You know, everyone, everyone has a prize, you know. Everyone has a prize. And so, I mean, in, in my days, schools were not like this. <laughs> and strangely enough, as you move up in the ranks, the ranks of, of society, even biz- businesses don't run. They run on a merit system. Well, most of them do. The ones that want to thrive do. They want achievers. They want people who have done stuff. They're not going to promote Annie and Billy who who've just basically show up. And don't do jack. So that's something that we need to realize is that, you know, people find it difficult, especially in this modern culture where, you know, everybody ultimately, we have no losers. You know, one of my favorite shows is Bargain Hunt. You know, we have no losers, just runners up, you know. You didn't make as much money as the other couple, so you're a loser, you know. As far as I'm concerned, you know. We have no runners-up, you know, we just have runners-up. So ultimately, you know, we're all good. We'll win, you know. You enjoyed yourself? You enjoyed yourself? We're all happy, you know. To quote my bargain hunt, um, my bargain hunt friends. 
And, but when you really look at it, that should prick our conscience. That the fact that, the, you know, that even Paul here mentions that people can build and bring to something that ultimately we're looking to last, stuff that won't last. Fire, so to speak, you know. So if I said to you that, you know, I want to build something and, you know, and the, the thing is that it needs to endure fire, metaphorically, obviously, in this situation, then, you know, you really need to bring your best, you know, you're not going to bring your, you know, your paper and your cardboard and anything else that will burn you. I mean, the whole idea is just addressing you to bring something that will survive. The same way if I said, well, look, you know, um, we're going to go up to Siberia today. You know, and um, so you need to survive the cold. So you really need a good jacket and you're going to need some good thermals. And you're going to need some good layers. And, and it's the whole idea of being prepared. I need to preserve my body because I need to survive the cold. And so in that sense, it shows us that we, we, we cannot bring, just like the, the gospel leaders just cannot bring whatever they want, it means that even we who are building towards God's kingdom in our own small way also need to make sure we're bringing something that will last. Because, again, as verse 13 points out, each one's work will become manifest. So God's going to be calling people out. For the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. I assume here that the fire is a metaphor for Jesus' verdict. You know, we see in Revelation is a sword that comes out of his mouth and consumes his enemies. And his verdict as he speaks into that which you've brought, he will give his approval or disapproval. Some may find themselves like Oscar Schindler, who was aiming for gold, but upon further reflection, has really actually come in as silver or bronze. Actually, I could have done more. I, I, I wasn't running on as efficiently as I could have done. But we can also admire the fact that at least some have the courage to scrutinize their own lives. And again, this is all building to my application of getting you all to look and, and think to yourself about how am I treating the church? I mean, if you have, if it has been because you have a, pure, a poor view of ecclesiology, is, as you, if you've sat and you felt, well, God is enough, and that's all it is, and I'll, I'll try my best to, to, be a, to be available to the church, then I'm telling you today that you need to rethink that. You need to go and think hard, because now, hopefully, your ecclesiology is improving. You're starting to realize that, actually, how I treat the work of God impacts what I actually think about God. So in verse 14, it says, if, any, if the work that anyone has built on, the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. So that goes right back to what we said, you know, where, again, the Billies and the, Annie, the, the Annies of the world won't get anything. 
I mean, they'll get their salvation if they've made the right confession, but ultimately, there's nothing to celebrate. There's no crown to cast before the Lord. There's nothing to give back to him. And again, it kind of brings up that illustration of the outer darkness of the servants who did nothing with the talent that God had given them. The talent that God hoped they would do something with, even if it were to just invest in somebody else. Can't go into that today. So rewards are a real deal. Rewards are a real deal. And to some extent, as far as being able to have God lavish on you, uh, again, there's a degree of meritocracy within the kingdom of God. And that lavishing God's praises on you, that everything I gave you, you used would be something that we would love to hear because now enter into the joy of the Lord. You know, I don't know what, what that will look like, whether you and God would dance together and the Lord Jesus Christ would dance together for ages and ages as they celebrate what you've done. I don't know what it looks like, but I'm assuming rightly that it will be glorious. But for those who have nothing to offer, where ultimately, you know, the Lord has no jig to dance with you. I don't know. It's up to you, isn't it? So the day will come when we will discover whether your work has been more of a help or a hindrance to God's work. And I think that is probably the more revealing thing. Have I actually been helping God's work or actually have I been hindering it? Is God using you, as it were, to sharpen somebody else like you're a persecutor's? Are you here because you just want to find issues with the church and ultimately you just become like, you know, the other sons of, of Jacob who just put Joseph into the place where God wants them to. You know, where all God can really say of you, what you have meant for evil, God has meant for good. Are you that type of figure where you are actually, actually a part of the people of God, but ultimately you have to own up to the fact that what you were doing to other believers was evil? And so God is just using you to sharpen somebody else who is going to be faithful. So verse 15, if anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. And again, just as you picture what that will look like as, as you know, Going back to my illustration and, and, and to the, the story of Joseph, how their brothers feared for their lives. When it suddenly was revealed that they pushed him into God's will and they feared that they may not even survive now that Jacob was dead. Will we have that kind of sense 
when we see the person that we thought was not your cup of tea, God dancing with. And so you suddenly realize that you had so much issues with that person that you suddenly wonder, how can both of us be right? So in that sense, it makes sense to scrutinize and evaluate if I am a bum on a seat that messes with the work of God or someone who stands as a pillar in the church community and enriches the lives of others. Notice the difference. Those who sit and mess with the life of the church and those who stand and become pillars in the church. Our last two verses together says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. You know, if you are actually fighting and resisting um, the work of God in others, it actually shows you that you're actually also resisting and fighting the work of God in you. So if this is the place where God is actively at work in a way that he is not actively at work in any other institution or organization elsewhere, that any local church where the gospel is proclaimed faithfully, that's only the place where you're going to see the concentration of God's gift. And if you are actively working against it, there's a danger. And Paul doesn't mince his words. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. In other words, so as you are, as you are unpacking other people, you are destroying yourself. You're engaged in self-destruction. So in a sense, it makes sense to evaluate yourself now just on the basis that I do not want to undo that which God is doing in me. So there's a degree of self-interest that should at least prick our conscience. So how do we apply this? Before, I, I, I don't want us to, I, I want us to realize that there are numerous applications here. There are numerous applications. And time does not permit for me to go through all the things that were on my mind. You know, Romans 14, who are you to judge another man's work? You know, sometimes we can be very up there. But again, it, it will take a lot of unpacking because some people can misread that and think, well, I can do whatever I want, which again, I, I'm not condoning. And so I won't go there. But we need to think beyond how this might apply to how you might be in disagreement with somebody else. And so the last time I taught this, um, last year, November, that was my application. But we need to think beyond that now. So it says for, you know, an example would be, you know, are you, if you're not a person given to regular attendance, now, I don't think going to church makes you a Christian. And that's my first disclaimer there. 
but to some extent, how do you establish your identity as a Christian if you're not where other Christians are gathered? You know, in the day where, where, uh, where Moses was, was, was taking the people through the wilderness, there were certain trumpets that were said. And so the trumpets in the Bible are very important because they symbolize the summoning of God's people. Hence, you see it in the Exodus and also you see it in Revelation that the trumpets call the Christians to where they ought to be. And so in, 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 in the time of the foundation of Israel as a nation, that the trumpets will summon various members of the Hebrews to the, people, the assembly of God. Some just summoned the men. Some summoned the elders, and some summoned all the people, depending on what trumpet you heard. I could also go into Second, you know, Second Samuel 11 and talk about while, while kings went to war and David stayed at home and unpack that. But again, time does not permit. But our identity is wrapped up in the church. And if you are not where the people of God are assembled, then what does that say about your identity? How are you establishing your identity? Because at least as you attend, you are, you are at least saying, I believe that this is where I ought to be. And if you're not somewhere else fellowshipping with God and you're doing something that ultimately is is not establishing that identity as a Christian, then what are you doing to yourself? This is not about our own local fellowships survival, you know, this is actually about you. What does that say about you? Because you will not gather with the people of God. And if this is God's field or God's building, whichever metaphor that suits your purpose, then you need to evaluate that, what that means to you. So can God reward someone who is not present for the work he has called them to? That's the assumption of the text. That's the assumption of, the, of Paul's own thoughts. How can God reward you you know, now to me, I'm talking about, I'm not even talking about the person who's bringing stones and hay, because at least they're bringing something. I'm talking about people who have brought nothing, who add nothing to the life of the church, who have nothing to God's work. Or you may be someone who is actually present in the community of believers, but not actually involved in the work. Or, again, that ever-present enigma, the person who does come, but only when they're functioning in a particular role. That's the most strangest enigma, because to some extent, it's, you're not really there to be ministered to. You're not there to sit amongst the crowd and actually say, there's something in this for me. I'll freely give my service because, like I said, to some extent, I'm doing you a favor. But ultimately, won't sit with the congregation. 
because I said there's numerous applications to this. Because ultimately, if you see the church as God's work and field where he is actively building a new community of people, then there's ways in which you have to think and evaluate who am I in relation to this work? Am I actively a part of it? Am I a part of it but could be doing more? Or am I not really a part of it but toying with the whole idea? Wherever you stand, there's something that you really need to evaluate. Think about what it is you have to offer. Think about what it is it means to your identity. Think about what it means when you are actually were actively working against other believers. There's so much we can say, but again, time is not on our side. So I pray that where you, wherever you are, that you will again take on board that which has been, you know, which has been dead. I think I've been honest and faithful to God's word. And I, I pray that it will help you in the, uh, as you unpack what your life ought to look like um, before our Lord and our Savior. Let's pray. Father, we are, again, in, in difficult times, as we already know. But Lord, again, you know, you've told us, Father, through um, the Apostle Peter, Shakings will come to the world, dear Lord God. And I, I no doubt believe that, you know, you are shaking the world now. So that which, dear Lord God, is, is, that is loose and that needs to change in our lives. Maybe there's people that will ordinarily will be running around doing all kinds of things today, but they're here. Maybe they're watching this, this, um, this Zoom message even now. And they suddenly realize, here I am, captivated, stuck at home, nothing to do, no shops to go to. Nowhere to ramp. And they're suddenly having to reevaluate. Because here we are, a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Amidst a kingdom that is being shaken. So Lord, we pray that you will help us because again you said that fiery trials for you know will come. And Lord, here we are in the trial. But yet, Father, your church endures because you are preserving it. It's where you're actively involved. And Father, you're preserving us. So again, we are thankful for this. So help us in our evaluation there, Lord God. May we cut deep to our heart there, Lord Father, about what it looks like, what it means to, Father, be involved in the local, you know, the local fellowship. And this is, not, this is bigger than Ecclesia, as we already know there, Lord God. This is about wherever you are, whatever church you're involved in. If you're even listening for, from another um, congregation or you're just a, you know, a regular church hopper, this speaks to you. What do your do you value identity? How are you establishing your identity as a believer? Are you actively involved in that which God is doing in this world? And or are you just actively involved in building up your own vision or some other man's vision? So Lord, help us all as we try to get to grips with having a good ecclesiology a good understanding of what you're doing in this world, dear Lord Father, so that we have a good understanding of who you are. They're both related. So we ask for your help, dear Lord God, as we, we, we try to ponder these things. You know, may it just not be more, merely just thoughts, dear Lord God, that run on, but actually lead to some kind of action. 
Maybe some people actually will turn and say, actually, I, 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 I figured out I'm not really a believer. And maybe that will be good because it will help them because they know who they are. And so it gives them the opportunity to look at the gospel again and see what it means to them. And maybe for them, you know, for some people, it, it, yeah, actually, this is important to me. And I do want to establish myself as a believer and I need to do something about that and, again, help them. Help them as you, you know, to evaluate how to do that, what that would look like. Even if it's a small commitment. Even if it's something that turns out to be something that will perish. But at least it's a step in the right direction. So Lord, we're thankful, Father, because you are preserving your church. And it will outlast, Lord God, all the troubles that this world has seen. The troubles that are yet to come. So, Father, we thank you for the good things you are doing in us, dear Lord God, locally, in the churches globally. For your Son, Jesus' sake. Amen. Join us next time. For more of God's truth to transform your reality.